0: Welcome to Refirement Life, the podcast for anyone navigating life transitions or planning to make life transitions to ensure your next years are your best years. Listen in for insightful, generous, and sometimes humorous conversation. It's time to get fired up with Christine Zamuda and Muge Wood, your hosts for this latest episode of Refirement Life.
1: So Welcome, everyone. This is Refirement Life with uh, myself, Christine Zamuda, and Mugay Wood. Today, we have a very, very special episode. We have brought Jeremy Epstein to the podcast, and Jeremy and I had worked together uh, many years ago, have stayed in touch, and Jeremy is Uh, going through a bit of a career transition. So uh, I thought it would be great to just bring him on board, learn a little bit about what he has found. But Jeremy, first, why don't we introduce you and in your own words, just share a little bit about your professional background, a little bit about you personally, and we'll kick things off.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, thank you both for having me. I'm very excited by uh, by being a guest, but also really enjoyed the previous podcast I listened to and I love the mission that you two are on. So hopefully this won't seriously damage your brand too much. <laughs> uh, just just enough that you can bounce back from. Uh, yeah, so my name is Jeremy Epstein. I'm actually a native of Washington, D.C. Uh, lived a bunch of places around the world, including Germany and Japan uh, and New York. Uh, where I tell people I moved from Tokyo to so that I could save money and the sad part of that story is it's true and uh, ended up pretty much where I started. Um, I am the proud father of three children, three teenagers who are pretty good kids most of the time and my wife hasn't, as I said, taken out a machete and hacked me to pieces in the middle of the night thus far so I consider that a victory. Um, on the professional front, I basically spent my entire career at the intersection of emerging technologies and the marketing function. Uh, going all the way back to my early college days, uh, I got email in 1991 when I was one of the first million people on the planet, apparently. I built a homepage in 1992 and I was just very, very excited about the potential. So I started my career in Tokyo doing what we would now call Internet marketing, uh, rode the dot-com wave up for a couple of years, then with my brother started a company that we would basically now call TaskRabbit, but we just came up with it 10 years too early whoops uh so that didn't quite work out uh and then i decided i needed to do, uh, learn how to really do marketing at a much higher level so i had the incredible opportunity to join microsoft and work for none other than christine zamuda where i learned how to do uh, marketing at scale with operational excellence and It served me well. Uh, To this day, I still think pivot tables are the greatest invention that man has ever, or or woman has ever created. Um, Although I did leave Microsoft in 2008 when someone told me after my suggestion. That we use Facebook as a marketing channel, that it was, quote, the dumbest fucking idea he'd ever heard. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I'm not so sure about this one. So I left, started a consulting firm called Never Stop Marketing, which I tell people is not just a company, but a mentality and a way of life. Actually came out of my Microsoft days because uh, we always talked about Q5, but Q5 never seemed to actually happen. So I realized that Never Stop Marketing was the only way you could keep marketing going and that should be absent of the fiscal year cycle but uh balmer didn't listen to me on that suggestion so i figured it was time to move on i uh, did that for a couple years where i explored how the marketing function would change because of the arrival of social media technologies uh, then i was subsequently uh, i did have a, a moment of of joy where i was recruited by the head of global leadership and training at microsoft because she called me up and said hey, people are really interested in this social media thing. Do you want to be our global instructor for social media marketing? And I was like, you could have had it for free, but if you want to pay through the nose, we'll do it your way. So uh, I made so much money from her. I got a plaque made and I hung it up a wall in, in my house and named a room after her. So it was really, <laughs> really great. Um, then I got recruited to head up marketing at an enterprise social media management company called Sprinkler. Uh, I joined as the uh, head of marketing there when we were about 30 people. We had just done a Series A valuation about $20 million. Four years later, we had 1,400 people and a $1.8 billion valuation. Uh, I tell people just because they don't understand the difference between correlation and causation uh, doesn't make it my problem. I was just happened to be the head of marketing while that happened, but you can reach your own conclusions about what that means. Um, somewhere along the line there, I picked up my first couple of Bitcoin. Um, didn't really think much about them until my mission at sprinkler was ending and then i was like wait i have these you know handful of bitcoin here i was like what the hell are these things and i spent like 6 months reading everything i would get my hand on and then i just had you know this sort of epiphany i was like this thing's going to be huge and for the last 7 years uh, i've just been deep in the world of crypto exploring that working as an advisor consulting i had the chance to brief three-star generals at the pentagon on two different occasions which was pretty kind of was pretty cool um and then you know as most recently the chief marketing officer at a project called radix which i loved Um, but then i ran into the crypto winter wrapped inside of a global recession and uh was laid off so now i have the opportunity Uh, with enough gray in the beard to uh, figure out what the next step is so that's kind of where I sit and that's why I have the privilege to sit here and uh, learn from the two of you about what I should do with my life
3: yeah fascinating well Jeremy (laughs) this is this is just amazing uh so just to be transparent, this is the first time uh, I met Jeremy, and I'm listening to the story. A couple things I'm just going to call out here. Number one, you're here to completely amplify our brand, and I think you're going to do that in an amazing way. And when I listen to your story of the transitions you experienced and how you have grown from them from one to the other, um, uh, it is... It, it, I, I just sense, um, uh, how, um, you embrace growth in your life, you're you're taking a lot of risks and uh, you have that sense of adventure um, because you have a string of these that you called already. And I am thinking I need to spend a, at least a few hours with you because, one, I want to learn about marketing in the sense that, um, you know, you called out never stop marketing. And I think we are all marketing in, in some shape and form. Uh, but a lot of us may not feel comfortable like, with the idea. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not a marketer so that's one the second thing is the fascinating world of um bitcoin and cryptocurrency that i don't really understand embrace but then it hit home with me when i was hearing the stories of um the unfortunate situation unfolding in ukraine how people had to leave their country with nothing in their pockets Um, but then um, they were able to access uh, their bitcoin cryptocurrency accounts um, to be able to um transact Um, and uh, access the means they need to pursue their lives. So um, I just want to welcome you also and thank you for sharing your amazing experiences. Uh, That is wealth of information for sure.
2: Well, thank you for that. uh, A couple of comments on that. Um, First of all, normally I would say if somebody said I want to spend a couple hours with you, I would shudder, but the good news is I got plenty of time right now. So we're totally good with that. (laughs) So we can definitely uh, figure that out. Um, I think you're very much spot on about the Bitcoin and crypto use cases. I think it's really, really difficult for uh, Americans uh, in particular and Western Europeans to a lesser extent to understand the value proposition. But if you talk to people from Ukraine or Lebanon or Zimbabwe or Cyprus or Argentina or any or Venezuela, any of these countries where they've really been you know, screwed over by central bankers or by circumstances outside of their control, um, the value proposition is abundantly clear to those people. And there are more of them than there are <laughs> people who live in the US and Western Europe. Um, and I think the third thing, and I really appreciate you you talk about this sort of um, sense of adventure and growth mindset, like a Carol Dweck kind of growth mindset, as it were, And I was reading a really fascinating article and I give a lot of credit to my dad for this. I tell people my dad's 88, but hasn't quite gotten the memo yet. He, you know, he's traveling around, he's doing all kinds of stuff, but he's just perpetually curious about the world. He's always asking questions like, you know, talking to Uber drivers, you know, clerks, he doesn't care. And and, and he's very well read, but he, he goes very broad, but not very deep, but he knows enough to be able to engage in conversation with anybody and appreciate them. And I read this phenomenal article in HBR that said, the key to maintaining that intellectual agility, especially as you age, you know, I just hit 50. So I'm sort of like really realizing what that means is that curiosity and that willingness to embrace change. And like, I think the one thing we know people who've worked in the technology world is change is really the only and increasingly fast constant And you're right, like you just have to adapt to that. So um, I I appreciate what you're saying. It it sort of explains why if you look at like my social media profiles, there's a romantic picture there from a German romantic painting, sort of a guy peering out into the distance. So I like to fancy myself as that kind of frontier explorer. So thank you for uh, picking up my emotional resonance there or my (laughs) wannabe emotional resonance. I should be.
1: Yeah, when I was telling Mugay a little bit about you and and why I wanted to bring you on the show, I think so many people can learn from what you're doing right now because I think the knee-jerk reaction when you're in a career transition is to get something either right away or um, go to your immediate close circle of friends and family to get advice. But you've done something really different. And I was describing this to Mugay, I said, "It's, it's a bit of a personal walkabout. And as I read your blog later, after we spent some time together, you know, you, you're calling it, uh, operation Florence. Yeah. So, so tell us a bit about what you're doing.
2: Yeah. So I, somewhere along the line, probably it's probably your fault. I'm not quite sure why, but I learned the key to <laughs> successful marketing is like, oh, that was the other thing I said, I wanted to tell you, Mo Gay, as you said, we're in marketing. I tell people we're all in marketing. It's just that some of us know it. So yes. I think it's just coming to the earth. But anyway, I learned along the way that one of the most valuable things you can do in marketing is give it a name. because that name kind of gives that North star and coalesces people around the mission and it gives them an idea and it has that emotional resonance. But I came up with the idea for Operation Florence, which is about a personal career renaissance, right? O- homage to Florence's epicenter for the re- renaissance. And I said, look, you know, we all live in our own little bubbles, and I can spend all day talking to the, you know, 5, 10, 15 people I talk to on a regular basis, but I'm not going to get a lot of new stuff there. But What I want to do is just go out and go broad, and I've been very fortunate over the course of my career to meet a lot of really incredible people who think really big thoughts. And I say, you know what? I'm going to design sort of a research project. I'm going to go make a list of these people, reach out to them, and just talk. And the best part of this, I'll tell you, is like, it's so refreshing to be on a call with people where like, I don't have an agenda to sell anything. I'm not trying to get a job for these people. I'm not asking for anything other than really practicing my own curiosity and my own desire to develop empathy and really just get myself into their heads and look out at the world through their eyes. And it's like, I don't care that you live in a bubble. In fact, it's great that you live in a bubble. All I want to see is what's in your bubble because we all, and then if you put together enough of those bubbles, you can start, it's like a pointillism almost in a way, right? You can start to see these patterns emerging and like my favorite story. And I've now had nearly 20 interviews with people just across the spectrum. I mean, it skews Western, it skews male for sure. You know, there's, it would fail like a DEI test, but whatever, you know, like it is who I know, but I basically was like, You know, I'm just going to talk to people and I'm just going to listen. I'm going to ask these questions. Like, what are things that you see right now that very few people are talking about that you think will be big in three to five years? That's all I'm trying to do. And, like, what do you think will be the catalyst for this? So, my favorite example of like the randomness of all this is I was telling my therapist about this and that he was not part of the study. And I was talking to a guy who's like an avowed futurist who studied everything from like micronuclear fusion and geothermal engineering to like, I mean, rando stuff. And they both said one of the biggest opportunities is what they call the fertility crisis. They said in the Western world, there's a huge fertility crisis. You know, people are having children later. Their birth rates aren't replacing. And also, we don't know how, like, the toxins in the air are affecting women and and male reproductive things. And I was like, wow, this guy who's like a professional futurist and my therapist who are like totally different planets are both talking about the fertility crisis. That's interesting to me. And so I started to look for those types of things. And I figured if I could find that, it would tell me where the next you know, opportunities could be. And then if I can align that with sort of my passion, my mission and my skills, then I might have sort of the next you know, uh, op- adventure as it were, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I've been hearing more about that too. It- I, I plug into this, um, my morning wire, it's just 15 minutes of, you know, topics research. And they were saying that, um, 30% of males, young males, 18 to 24 are not even in relationships. At right. All. Right. And that's, you know, another contributing factor that over time. Right.
3: Right. Right so to that, th- yeah. that that is that is amazing uh jeremy this is i think yet another example of you with your curiosity seeking the benefit of perspective that only can come from um probably people with different backgrounds and experiences um right. because yes we all live in our bubbles um and then we talk to people who are in the bubble with us uh, and and that shapes our worldview so the example you gave uh fertility fascinating that wouldn't have being the first thing that c- comes to mind, um, but true. Let's you know think about that. Um, so as these conversations unfold so far, you said about twenty, maybe you got more coming. Um, what are some other things that you felt uh, were surprising um, uh, as as this unfolded?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It, I don't know if there was anything that was like mind-blowing and sort of it's although like geothermal engineering was really well like people like okay and this guy was like hey you know we all talk about this energy thing but like the renewables that we currently have are not going to get the job done we obviously can't do it with coal or what have you nuclear is probably the best answer but understandably against people the eebie-jeebies and he's like geothermal is one but that's always been you know, and he told me this, it's it's always been blocked by the fact that there's a certain point in the Earth's crust where it's just too hard for diamonds to get through, like diamond cutters to get through. But now in the last year or two, they've had this new invention that can actually, I can't remember what it's made of. And I was like, wow. And then three days later, I saw an article in the back of the Wall Street Journal about geothermal engineering. And I was like, <laughs> that's awesome. Like, this is exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to do. So that was obviously AI has been huge. And I've spent probably... You know, an average of two to three hours a day just using AI tools for the last week and a half. I've took a, taken a class to learn how to code Chat GPT and build my own. Like, I mean, I'm not going to make a living as a coder probably ever, but I, I tell people, like, from my philosophy, my belief when it comes to a new technology, there's understanding how to use it. That's great. But the real value comes from understanding how it works. And if you understand how it works, then you can start seeing business model innovation and all kinds of stuff. And that's where the real value gets. And if you can start putting those pieces together, then I think in sort of to be a little cliche about it, you have a better likelihood of being able to see to where the puck's going. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, so that's what I spend a lot of time on. It's like, Yes, using ChatGPT is awesome, and in fact, the report that I put on my blog was partially written with ChatGPT. I took all the notes, chucked it in there, and I was like, write up a summary for me. And then I went back and forth, and I was like, now add this person's comments and do this. And it was like having an assistant, and that was great. But understanding how to code an API and use it you know, to build a chatbot or whatever, now it starts to see different opportunities. And i got a long way to go. Um, but that's good. And then the other one that I thought was really interesting, it sort of ties into the geothermal is, is climate tech, right? Everybody, there's a lot of talent, especially now that people are getting laid off from tech companies, you know, and people have this sense of desire for purpose and meaning in their life. Like climate tech, it seems like a really nice place to put it. And the one that came up two or three times is like the carbon credit market, for example. It's like everyone talks about carbon credits, but the market's so inefficient right now, and it lacks transparency and what have you. So there are plenty of ways to sort of reinvent that, which obviously will have a social benefit, and there's plenty of economic value if you can figure it out.
1: Yeah, that's another place where you and Muge can spend some time together because Muge was part of the sustainability team, so has a lot of uh, background and probably interesting ideas.
3: Yeah, that's uh, that. I I am thinking also, um, Jeremy, as you are describing, as a result of your conversations, this is probably helping make connections um, across disciplines because you mentioned uh, climate science, um, future of our planet, fertility, AI, uh, the intersection of these disciplines. How can we leverage advances in AI um, to help uh, protect the planet, to help cure, um, you know, tough diseases, to help fertility, um, you know, help apply it towards uh, innovative research beyond our imagination, and I think those kinds of ideas can probably come into play um, when we cross the you know aisle, so to speak, and uh, reach people with different disciplines. Um, that reminded me of, um, you know, in Houston, we've got the big medical center, and um, uh, they have been um, putting a lot of investment, as an example, into building a rooftop um, uh, complex um, so that um, people can come in to socialize, um, doctors researchers from different disciplines share ideas um, so that the innovation and research and thoughts can be um, accelerated. So um, so it's amazing. And, you know, chat GPT, I'm very much taken by it. I need to get better at it. I am just obsessed with composing poems. Uh, You (laughs) know, give it the, you know, give it the five words and it creates the poem for you. I send it to people and we're like, oh, that's amazing. Right. The purpose is far beyond that. But, um, you know, in terms of engagement, engagement, right? Uh, The possibility is it provides and what you're uncovering is um, just incredible.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think you hit on something really important. Like I've read a fair amount on like the history of innovation. And like, it talks a lot about one of the big catalysts for innovation historically was the um, importation of coffee to the United Kingdom. Because before that, people didn't drink water because it wasn't safe. So they drank beer, which obviously dulls your senses. But once they started bringing coffee, you could establish these coffee houses, and the coffee houses became exactly like that rooftop environment you're describing. It's a place for people across disciplines, and that innovation, you know. And there's this great video from like uh, Stephen Johnson's book way back about like how innovation or how ideas come together. It's all about the cross-discipline, it's, and it's cross-pollination, and seeing opportunities, and seeing all the and, and having those conversations, and it's just like having that sort of cafe culture mentality, which actually ties into another thing that another theme that came up, if I may, um, thank you, is that I was talking to a couple of people about the future of work, right? And you think about like, I mean, I've been working remotely for almost 20 years and like, but the, the pandemic, I think sort of brought everybody else up to realize like, oh, wait a second, you don't need to be in an office. Right. And now you're seeing this tension of some companies like I saw yesterday. There are law firms now that say your bonus is going to be tied to how often you're in the office, which I was like, that's just the dumbest thing ever, in my opinion. But they're going to do it. But meanwhile, if you thought about it, you know, 30 years ago when all of us started our careers. I mean, you guys were like three, I know, but (laughs) I I was, you know, it's um, most people lived within 30, 40 miles of their office, of their company. Right now. You know, we hear stories like there was a story the other day about a guy who uh, his his subordinate came to him and said, hey, you know, um, why do I have to live in Virginia for this job? I can do this job from North Carolina. And he kind of took a step back and he's like, wait a second, I could hire someone in India for half the cost. And that's what he did. You know, (laughs) and so so now he's doing it. And now European companies are saying, hey, I can go get American talent and they don't have to move. You know, right. so now it's like, and, and I think that's going to be a really fascinating sort of evolution of like people freed up from I have to be in these certain geographic areas. But then the question is, how do you have innovation happen in this digital environment? That was the argument, like this law firm was saying, like we we can't do this digitally. I don't agree with that, but I think it's going to create, you know, it, it's going to it's going to be interesting to see how both the workplace and the innovation happens when you have sort of these digitally dispersed. You know, cultures by default.
1: Right, right, yeah, and I think I think it'd be interesting too, just to go back to your your list of you know, forty people, and you, you mentioned and you you brought this up earlier that hey, you're self aware that they these people have a lot in common with you, right? The diversity is not there, maybe not the age, it, you know, differences aren't there, but going back to that list and maybe even doing a Uh, Operation Florence 2.0, which broadens the spectrum and says, okay, now we know more about these issues. Let's hear from all of the cohorts or more Mm. of the cohorts, right? And I I would be keenly interested in knowing what the millennials are saying about this life, because that's kind of the only life they know is really working remotely. And what are the upsides, downsides of that?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And actually, one of our former colleagues who I talked to was telling me about how she really felt like the millennial, the impact of the millennials on the workplace is actually being underestimated, Mm -hmm. you know, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting, because I don't really think about that that much or what have you. But I I agree with you. It's like, it'll be really interesting. Like, can, can you imagine going to millennial and saying, hi, you need to be in an office five days a week? I'm like, I just, I, I would imagine that has to affect the ability to recruit good talent. People say, yeah. screw it. I want to be on the beach in Costa Rica. What difference does it make? And I was like, I want you to be on the beach in Costa Rica, but like some other people don't. And I just, I can't. So, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that's, people have asked me, what am I going to do? Sort of now that I've done this sort of first phase of Operation Florence, like what happens next? And I think the answer is I, I sort of double click on a few of these. And so, and that's number one. And then number two is what I really love about it is it's almost like, it's like meditation, right? It's like a practice. It's just Mm -hmm. building the practice of curiosity, building the practice of empathy. So now, you know, I mean, like my kids make fun of me because whenever we travel, like I'll always talk to like the Lyft or the Uber driver. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I was talking to this guy who was from Uganda and he was talking about how, you know, when he was in Uganda, he was a repairman for like TVs and washers and dryers. And he says, that's a big business in Uganda. He says, but when he got here, he realized that skill was worthless because Americans just throw it out and buy a new one. Right. And it was just really interesting to think like, well, how does that affect sort of climate tech and all these kind of things? But just, I think the point is you can learn something even from the, the, the Uber driver or the Lyft yeah. driver. Absolutely. Whatever. So, anyway, you should. Yeah.
1: and And I think I think our listeners are learning a ton from you. I mean, I would even say, like, put this in your regular repertoire of life, right? Take the time to speak to people. Put it quarterly, you know. So you're learning yeah. so much, and you're making connections that help you see a, a bigger, uh, bigger opportunity in the world, as as well as just be centered on what's going on. Well,
2: I think that's the only way to survive in, like, especially as you get more advanced in your career, because most of your skills, like, they're going to get replaced by AI, they're going to get replaced by somebody who's cheaper. So your value add is going to be in being able to look across all those things, and combine your experience with your foresight and all those kind of things and look for those. And you're like, okay, that's a new opportunity. At least that's the bet I'm making. I mean, 5 years from now I might be on a different podcast of losers who can't survive in the new world.
3: <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's going to be uh it's going to be uh thriving um uh from uh, cu- with curiosity, thriving with curiosity. Go, I I think uh as I'm listening, uh Jeremy this um uh really incredible journey um you um have been taking on um uh, You know, sometimes it can be intimidating, I think, to say, okay, these new technologies are coming about or or I am facing a career transition. Uh, I need to go network with people. I need to go market my skills. I need to update my resume. These are all good activities, but, you know, it's not. Super fun sometimes, depending on your uh, personality, the stress and anxiety you may have at that time. Uh, but when you approach the way that you're framing here, uh, from a place of curiosity, uh, from a place of wanting to understand different perspectives on how futures are evolving and what it means for us, and how we have to um, uh, adapt and 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 find that we are uh, even thriving in, in with that change. I I, I just really appreciate that that uh, mindset and the other thing that popped to me when you described your conversations with the Uber drivers Uh, you know, we are also uh, more connected than we think, and also the interconnectedness of it all. Um, You know, the consequences of our actions on the environment, on the society, on the community, um, and how connected that is, um, that is at times uh, maybe anxiety producing, but at other times um, shows the tremendous opportunities that we have to make a difference, um, no matter how small it may be, um, that um, can give Meaning um, to um, our time, that you know, every day that we have.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great observation, and I, and I think you're you, you hit something really important. Like I, I realize I'm definitely a little more extroverted, and you know, and and I um I have less uh, inhibition about making a fool out of myself. I think that comes from having lived in foreign countries where if you if you're willing if you want to learn a foreign language, you have to be willing to make a fool out of yourself. So I think that helped out. But I think. It's if you go in with this, oh my God, I need to network. I need to push my resume. I'm calling. I'm asking for a job. It's overwhelming, no matter who you are. But if you go in and you're like, hey, I just want to understand you. One thing I've learned is people love talking about themselves. (laughs) So like, give people a chance to talk about their passions, whether it's their work or their hobbies. Like you asked Christine about art. I mean, she was talking. I think it was like five days. I couldn't get her to stop. You know, it's like enough, Rick. Okay, I got the art. No, I'm kidding. It's like. You know, like you want people to explain that and then you just sit and listen And these people. Everyone's developed an expertise in something. Right. So just like sit, listen, ask and just follow that conversation. And and mm-hmm. I think if you do that, you'll start to hear these these opportunities emerge and you'll start to see these patterns. If that's your mindset, not I need you. I'm calling you Muge because I need to ask you to get me a job, which people do. It's just like odds are you've got your own stuff. You're not going to spend all your day trying to find a job. I mean, you, if you get lucky, sure, but you know right. that's 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 playing the lottery. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we 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 need to move on. I think we've covered this in in a great um a great amount of detail to get people thinking, and it's got me thinking too about how I can can maybe uh, bar this great best practice, Jeremy. What what we're planning to do when we have guests on is do a rapid fire of questions, calling it the great eight. (laughs) And the challenge is um, our guests, well, I guess our guests will eventually know what these are, but (laughs) maybe we change them up, I don't know. But the the goal is to get through all eight so that uh, you get bragging rights and of course have an amazing refirement.life coffee mug sent to you. (laughs)
2: That's even more valuable than the bragging rights. You can never it have is. too many coffee mugs. Exactly. It Especially because I'm trying to subsume the ego right now. So the bragging rights is not helpful, but
1: yeah. All right,
2: let's do it. I'm ready, I'm All right. ready.
1: Good, good, good. All right, so first question. If you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would it be and why?
2: If I could have dinner with any historical figure, who would it be and why? It's um, a great question. I think I would be really interested in having dinner with Da Vinci. Hmm.
1: You know,
2: since we're talking Renaissance, the guy was a total Renaissance man. Super curious. I think it'd be good to understand how he did so many things so well. Like that would be super cool. I mean, I'd have to work on my Italian presumably, but you know, it would be a good combo.
3: (laughs) I, I am going to that dinner and I need to work on my outfit. (laughs) um when that dinner happens
2: (laughs) yeah well (laughs) i don't know if you saw i don't know if christine shared with you the blog post but at the end of the blog post of operation florence there's a picture of me as a Renaissance man, thanks to an AI thing. So I'm already yeah. dressed. I'm ready that's, to go.
3: that's that's <laughs> exactly right. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, got it. You're yeah. already ready. Well, and you I look
2: mean- great as it is. Let's just be very clear, Mega. You look well,
3: well, well, Thank you. I think you're for, for early guest. in the morning. Yeah. You're a repeat guest on this episode. You said the magic words. I don't know the other questions, Christine, but if we stop <laughs> right now, I would be very happy. Okay, let's yeah. keep going. Okay, let's, let's go. going.
1: All right. Um, what would be your go-to karaoke song and why?
2: Oh, that's an easy one. I, I lived in Japan for two years and I had a go-to karaoke song, especially in my, Born to be Wild.
3: <laughs> Love <laughs> that.
2: It got a little crazy when 23-year-old Jeremy got up on stage at two in the morning in the club. Let's just leave it at that. I have pictures, not necessarily proud of them.
3: That's nice. Yeah, I can yeah see the that's, that's,
2: that's a proven one for sure. You don't want the visual.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right, this is an important first-party research project that I'm on. It's a contention that my husband and I have, and I think it's happening in households everywhere. Who stacks the dishwasher better, you or Tamar?
2: Oh, there's no question I do.
1: Really? Oh, it's not yeah. even close. She'll know. It, I mean, it,
2: everybody knows. Is that self-assessment,
3: though? Is this objective?
2: No, you can I call her. There, there's, there's literally no <laughs> doubt. Everybody knows that I, I am... The best at the sta at the organizational i mean i packed the car i put costco stuff in the fridge that stuff like spatial arrangement there's right. a lot of stuff my wife does a million times better than i do but that's not one of them
1: yeah you didn't even hesitate
2: no it's not even it's not even close
1: <laughs> all right if you could choose one word to describe yourself what would it be and why
2: I mean, the word, the the word I want to use is frontiersman. It's
1: mm, a good one. Kit Carson, or?
2: Yeah, because it's, it's about like, you know, we're always in our personal life, like th- this process is as much as, as Christina and I were talking about at the beginning, this process, Operation Forest is not even about a career renaissance, it's a spiritual renaissance. And I think the one thing we all have to have confidence is to continue to like head out onto the frontiers of our own lives, whether it's profession or our spiritual or growth. And like we're all headed out there and like you have to have that sense of exploration and like I'm willing to go out there. And yes, it's scary. And yes, it's intimidating. And yes, there are moments where we all freak out. But, you know, like but the frontier is also where the most opportunity exists too. Yeah
1: out on the edge
2: out on the edge
1: so thinking of that um it's a good segue to the next question what's one of the most important life lessons you've learned so far
2: uh I think when you're young you should save a lot more than you think you need to save (laughs)
1: Mm, yes, (laughs) yes 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 Actually, the book, The 100-Year Life, tells you exactly that. They say that young people should save about 22% of yeah, their
2: salaries. Yeah, easily. I, I did a good yeah. job like in longer. my youth. I did a good job in my youth, and I thank my younger self for the job I did. When I was talking to someone who was 25, he's like, what's one piece of advice you give me? I'm like, dude, save even more than you think you need. Mm-hmm. Like,
3: that, that is the, that is so spot on um my husband is especially passionate about the uh compounding interest um that comes with even the smallest amount of savings and the yep. power of that yes, maybe there will be a windfall coming from somewhere, but when you have the benefit of time uh for that uh saving to grow uh it becomes super powerful so thank you for sharing that spot yeah,
2: on I'm totally with you. your husband and I are simpatico. <laughs>
1: And then what's the one thing you want to accomplish in the next five years, either personally or professionally?
2: I want to, uh, become even more patient. Mm
1: -hmm. How do you learn to be patient? I need need a a quiz or a course on that. Uh,
2: I don't know. For me, the meditations are really, really, um, valuable, uh, practice i don't know if it's for everybody but just the practice of sitting and feeling that energy of like i need to go do something and then and and then practicing that that's just uh an emotion that you're experiencing and then not reacting to it like that's the exercise so Mm -hmm. back back when the uh when it became 2020 and we hit the new decade I was like, everyone's like everyone, you know, New Year's resolution. I'm like, forget New Year's resolution. I have a new decade resolution. And it's my word of the decade is patience. It's up on my mm-hmm. whiteboard. That's what mm-hmm. I want to do just patience. And actually this morning, every morning before I meditate, I, I have a quote, like these quote generators from different philosophers. And one that came up today was from Leo Tolstoy. And it said that uh, patience and time, speaking of compounding interest, are the two greatest warriors. If you can cultivate an appreciation for patience and time, I think you're in good shape.
1: Mm, Words to live by.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Last question. Nice. Looking back on your career so far, you are just nailing it. What is the one piece of advice you wish you had received when you first, when you were first starting out? More on the professional side than
2: personal. Yeah, I mean, you know that that coffee mug's a pretty big motivator. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's easy to. Say. I mean, the one piece of advice is never leave working for Christine Zamuda, But, you know, that's <laughs> if if, if what was the, what is the one piece? Oh, you know what? I do have one piece of advice I would have received. I figured it out along the way, but I think if I'd gotten it earlier, it would have saved me. I'm not sure I would have listened. Is that never run from a job, only run to a job. Mm hmm. I've mm-hmm. had situations where I'm like, I don't like the way this is. And I was just sprinting to get away from there. And I took whatever I could. And it just made the situation worse. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> like, yes. no, you, you have to run after it. And then what I, the second thing is, yeah, so that that's what I wish I had received uh, along the way. It's like only go after stuff that you're really passionate about. Because otherwise, you're just going to make a bad situation worse.
1: Absolutely. I actually just had that conversation with a family member last night.
3: Wow. Yeah. I, I think it ties up with patience as well. Um, mm. I have been in situations like that in the past where um I sometimes exit too early uh yep. from a particular uh position, uh, where um you know, even though where I may be going to could be exciting, had I stayed, I would have reaped even more benefits because I invested the time to get good at it and then and then just moved on just stay stay a little while and yeah. um uh, and uh, and be patient um enjoy yeah. settle in for a bit yeah yeah I totally agree with that awesome
1: well Jeremy it has been a delight you've given us so much to think about it was really um just a pleasure to have you here sharing your story giving some great advice and Making History. You're our first podcast guest. Woo! And feel like we're starting out the gates very strong as a result. So thank you. Thank
2: you. you. Well, it's an honor to be here. I love what you guys are doing. And I would encourage you to never stop marketing as it relates to your podcast and your your mission.
1: Absolutely.
3: Thank you, Jeremy. We got it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks for tuning
3: in. Till the next one.
0: Thank you for listening. Our hope is to spark a little joy, inspire and educate our listeners in ways to live an even more meaningful life. If you have reactions to share from what you've heard, Please visit our website, refirement.life, to leave a voice message. You may even be featured in a future episode. To keep in touch, subscribe to our podcast, Refirement Life, using the podcast player of your choice. Always remember, you are never too old to set a new goal or to dream a new dream. Thanks again for joining us on this episode. Until next time.